everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Oak Podcast. Glad you're here, as always. We have another amazing episode with an awesome guest. I don't want to get into it too much, but uh, our guest really epitomizes just about everything we talk about here on the show. He's giving back to the community. He's sacrificing of himself to make the world a better place. And he's giving back to some of the most vulnerable people in the community that really need uh, some of the most assistance. So Nate is an awesome guy. This is an awesome show. I know you're going to like it. But before we get into it, I have to talk about our sponsors that help keep this show going. So first and foremost, obviously, ModusNation.com. Please check them out. Ben and Lindsay are doing amazing work. They have awesome products, awesome shirts. They always have new designs coming out that are even better than the, the last ones. So even if you bought from them before, please check them out again because I know they have something new that you're going to dig. And more importantly, Ben and Lindsay are giving back to the community as much as they possibly can, even though they're a fairly new company. Uh, they're... Their motives are to give back to the people that are most in need, whether that be the their local community or the, the veteran community. So they definitely deserve your support. And in turn, you're going to get some awesome shirts, awesome clothes, and you won't be disappointed, I promise. So if you haven't checked them out in a while, please please go back, check out the new stuff, buy some shirts, buy some gifts. I know uh, they'll appreciate it, and the person that is getting the shirt is going to dig it as well. So please, modusnation.com, use our promo code, nothing owed for a special discount on the website. Please check them out. And always, um, I like to give a couple mentions to some of the other people that give us support throughout the year. Obviously, uh, Mark Miller from Winfield Watch has been a longtime uh, supporter of the show. He's doing awesome stuff also. I know I talk about it all the time, but uh, get yourself a Winfield Watch. Buy a gift. You know, Christmas will be here before you know it. So please, uh, please check him out. Give him some support. He's doing uh, amazing work too. And you get a really nice watch that's going to last a long time. So please check out Winfield Watch. And if you're into coffee... Aaron Meza, Grind Ops Coffee, awesome dude, current law enforcement officer, trying to um, make a change in his life. You know, he's uh, last we talked to him, he's probably going to retire from uh, from service here pretty soon. So please uh, help him get his new career started. Buy some awesome coffee, and you know, one of the cool things that I like about Aaron and Grind Ops is that he's not just buying some generic coffee off the shelf and putting his sticker on the bag and, and shipping it out. He's actually selecting the roasts. He's determining what the flavor should be. So you're actually getting a unique bag of coffee from Grind Ops. It's not just a, you know, some wholesale coffee with a, a different sticker on it. So please check him out and check out the charities he's working with too, because he actually supports a lot of the charities that are um, rescuing um, service canines. So not only is he offering a good product, he's also giving back to the community as well, giving back to those uh, those canines. Uh, that have supported really the country and supported the individual person, whether it be in the military, you know, or law enforcement, those, those dogs mean a lot and they're, they're really amazing, you know, so they, they definitely deserve our support. So please, uh, please check him out and uh, check out the charities that he supports on his website, uh, grindopscoffee.com. And with that, let's uh, get into the show. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, myself. Hey everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Old podcast. As always, you're back here with Ben and Brian. And as always, we have another awesome guest today. And oddly enough, he's not a Marine for once. Uh, so Ben is uh, super excited about that. But it uh, wasn't on purpose. Uh, we have Nate Boyack today, who I uh, actually wanted to be introduced as a friend of Ben. So that's uh, his official title for the show, and we're going to go with that. But uh, no, Nate's an awesome dude, good story. Um, he's doing a lot of good work, which he's going to talk about. Uh, so I don't want to spoil it too much. But um, that being said, before we get into it, I always like to turn it over to Ben, say hi, and let him uh, tell us what's new, see what's going on with him. So, Ben, how you doing? What's new? 
Nothing much. Excited to be here. I'm glad you and I are back together. It seems like we did a couple little back-to-back vacations, and so I haven't seen you in a minute uh, via Zoom. Yeah. So it's good to have you back. Yeah, Nate's a good dude. I've known Nate for going on 20 years. Uh, you know, as we continue, as you and I continue to look for for guests and and ideas to have people on, you know, to be inspirational. His his name kept coming up, and he, you know, while he doesn't have a military background it's great he does have a background in in uh, you know multitude of areas and he started several businesses he's partners in businesses um and just you know he gives back i mean you know he's the epitome of what you know you and i are trying to do what ma deuce represents you know everything about what a good american should represent so um, i'm excited to talk to him i know a lot of his stories and a lot of his background so i'm 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 happy to that the 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 listeners get to to hear him. So excited to have him. He's a good dude. Yeah, same here. And you know, just like you said, you know, it's funny we uh, we definitely didn't plan on having mostly military guests on. It just kind of worked out that way. So we uh, we're open to anyone if as long as like you said they have a good story, they're giving back. As long as they uphold the, the values of the show, then they're more than welcome on the show. And I think Nate uh, definitely epitomizes that. So definitely excited to have him so that being said i think uh it's time to turn it over to nate so i'm gonna let you introduce yourself uh give us a quick background where you came from uh stuff like that and i know you had some interesting careers and stuff so we can talk about that but uh i'll turn it over to you so nate how you doing i'm doing great uh brian and ben i really appreciate the opportunity to uh speak with you both today it's uh it's a pleasure to be on the show um i'm a recent fan of the show uh ben actually told me about it just uh, just a few weeks ago uh, and I'm, I'm really excited. I've, I've listened to a, a handful of the podcasts that you guys have done so far, and, and they've all been, been excellent. The guests have been excellent, and the stories and the backgrounds have, have just been fantastic and inspiring. So I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to participate with you. Just a little bit about me. Uh, I'm originally from California. I grew up in a small town in Northern California called Sonora. It's about two and a half hours east of the Bay Area. It's in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas. Uh, like I said, grew up there my whole life. Uh, went to high school there. Uh, after high school, uh, went to college out in Utah, uh, Brigham Young University. Uh, so I was there for a year. And then uh, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so uh, typically, uh, members of our church when they're 19, 20, 21 years old, uh, have the opportunity if they want to serve missions. And so uh, I served a mission for our church uh, over in Japan, mostly in the Tokyo area in Japan. And so I was there for about two years. Uh, still- you still... Can you still lick a little Japanese? Just, just uh, I can a little bit. We actually uh, went back there uh, two years ago with the family, and uh, I hadn't been back since. But prior to that, I for about six or seven months, uh, started just watching Japanese videos on YouTube and trying to listen and, and get some language skills. Watching, back. were you watching Naruto with your kids and <laughs> catching yeah, up they, on? Yeah, they weren't really interested. They, they, they wanted nothing to do with it really. But uh, I taught them just some, some simple phrases: "Hello, konnichiwa," "Genki desu ka," stuff, stuff that's really simple. Um, but yeah, we had we had a really fun time, and and uh, it was a great family trip. So it was it was great to go. Were back. there were there any of the families that you? Did, I mean, did you run into any of the families that you taught with? So none, none of the families that I taught, but I had um, a couple really good friends that I served with who are, who are Japanese and oh, so, okay. um, companions. So, so as a missionary, you typically you're paired up with, with another missionary and, and you work together for anywhere from like two to four months. 
And uh, I had a, a couple guys that were Japanese that I worked with as companions over there. And so I, I had the opportunity to see them and, and visit with them and spend some time with their families. And it, it was great. It was really That's cool. I'm, I'm and you haven't, you haven't been back since. So this, you, you hadn't seen them in 20 plus years. Right. Yeah. One of, yeah. Uh, one of my friends, he had actually been out to the States a few times for work. So he had, he'd come visit with us and, and he stayed with us a couple of times but that was the first time going back there. So it, it was a really neat experience. And we went to some of the areas where I served and uh, took the kids around the cities and then uh, went to some of the country areas and, and outlying cities and stuff. And it was, it was a, it was a great opportunity. Loved so it. now Japan, Japan's a pretty rare calling, right? Or a pretty rare missionary calling. They have, um, they have like six or seven missions over there. And so it's, uh, I mean, missionaries are, are sent throughout the world. So I, I mean, it seems like, South America is, is, is probably, big, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, it seems like most of the guys I know were, you know, um, in, in South American or Central American countries, yeah, Central America, South America, a lot, yeah. a lot of stateside missionaries, Europe, but yeah, a handful, obviously over in Japan and it's a, it's a, a worldwide church. So yeah, yeah. we, we kind of go wherever countries will let us in. So that's, it was a great experience. I loved it. It's too bad you didn't get like the <laughs> Afghanistan mission. I mean, that's. <laughs> I think they're still waiting to open that mission, Ben. They're, oh, it's not open yet. All it's right, it's not open bad. yet. Uh, my bad. So, how long? How long? Um, for our listeners, I mean, I, I'm fairly familiar with um, the LDS Church and some of the stuff. But how, how long were you there? How long is a mission? So, mission is typically two years. And so, uh, when you start, if if you're going uh, somewhere foreign speaking, you'll spend about two months of your mission in a place called the Missionary Training Center, the MTC where you'll learn how to teach uh, gospel principles, uh, principles about Jesus Christ and things like that. But you learn how to teach it in another language, which uh, for the most part, like people, uh, young men going on missions, young women going on missions, don't have a ton of language experience. And so you spend about nine or 10 weeks learning the language there. And and then you go spend uh, about 22 months in the country. That's awesome. That's awesome. So So yeah, I was going to go ahead. How difficult was it to learn Japanese? Is it a difficult language? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's uh, it, it was, it was challenging. So I had Spanish in high school and, yeah. and uh, I, I did okay in Spanish class, but uh, I'll tell you, I mean, my, my Spanish wasn't any good. And so, uh, but I obviously uh, I was excited to serve in Japan and I wanted to learn the language. And so for those nine or 10 weeks that I was there in the training center, uh, I spent a lot of time learning. And I felt like when I left, I, I started to have a fairly decent grasp of the language. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm on my way that this will be good. And honestly, like when I, when I got off the airplane in Japan and heard Japanese over the loudspeaker at the airport and uh, heard some people talking, I'm like, this is not Japanese. I have no idea what these people are saying. <laughs> it, was, it was seriously the biggest culture shock. And uh, for the, it just takes a long time for your ear to get trained to native language and, and native speakers. And oh so, wow! Um, and and uh, kind of a funny story along that. So, like I said, they they typically pair you up with a companion. And so, my first companion, he had been out about a year and a half. And so, the expectation would be, hey, he's going home in five or six months. So, his language skills are probably pretty good. Um, so, he's I was excited because I, I could learn a lot from him. And uh, come to find out that he he just had a real mental block with Japanese. Like he was the awesomest dude, super hard worker, but like he just couldn't speak the language very well. And so I get there. I'm like, wait, you're going home in five months and you, you, you speak it maybe just a little bit better than I do. I'm like, that's a problem. So we'd be out talking to people or knocking on doors and doing that kind of stuff. And sometimes he'd look at me. He's like, did you hear what they said? Did you, did you understand that? I'm like, 
I have no clue what that guy's saying, man. I'm sorry. So um, it was, uh, it was just, it was really a testament to me that, you know, I mean, we're out there and, and we feel we're doing God's work and we're out there sharing uh, messages about God and Jesus Christ and, and happiness and peace and all that kind of stuff. But we still had to put in the work uh, with the language. And so it really kind of lit a fire in me to say, look, I, I need to put in the study. And so I got myself a notebook and had a dictionary with me all the time. And I write down like phrases and different things. And so I'd, I'd like I'd talk to people as they were talking to us, like, okay, what does that mean? How can I say this better? And, and uh, probably within about seven or eight months, I felt fairly, fairly comfortable with the language, but uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was a lot of work. So when you finished up your mission, did you go back to BYU? So I did. Yeah. I went back to BYU, uh, finished up there uh, for three years and then I uh, ended up moving to Las Vegas um, after that. So in 2002, uh, moved down to Las Vegas and I've been here, uh, just about 20 years now. So now didn't you have a firefighter stint? I did. So smoke, yeah. Weren't you a smoke eater for a minute? I was, I was a smoke <laughs> eater. So I, uh, I worked, um, as a seasonal firefighter for the California department of forestry and fire protection. So it was right out of high school. And oh, okay. Before so your there, mission. So there's, there's full-time firefighters and there's seasonal firefighters. And so typically the season runs from, um, like the end of April, May until uh, late September, October, just depending on on how the fire fires are going that year. And so, yeah, I ended up I ended up getting a job as a firefighter. Very fortunate to have that opportunity right out of high school. So, graduated high school, and within I think I want to say maybe two weeks of graduation, I was at the fire academy, and I worked there for the summer uh, before going to school, and then uh, came back after my freshman year of school. Worked another summer as a firefighter uh, before leaving on my mission to Japan. Wow. So get, were you, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, get involved in any uh, major fires while you're out in California? So we, we, mostly, we mostly fought vegetation fires, okay. um, a few structure fires. But yeah, we had some, some, fairly, some fairly big fires that, that we were on. Uh, there's a lot of grass area. It's in the foothills of the Sierras. And so like when, when you have a lightning strike or I mean, some, someone maybe throws a cigarette out the window and can start a grass fire and it can get pretty, pretty big, pretty fast. So, I mean, we had a, we had some little ones that we put out and and we were done with them in an hour or two. And then we had other ones that we, that we would be working on for uh, upwards of a week to to two weeks, depending on how large they were. So. Dude. So I got the funniest firefighter story when it comes to Nate. So Nate and I are having lunch one day and I tell him, I say, Hey man, you know, when it, for listeners, me growing up, all I ever wanted to be was a firefighter in Chicago. I, I loved uh, Backdraft. Like, it's it's like my favorite movie of all time. And so I'm telling Nate this, and he's, he tells me, oh, you know, I did this firefighting game. He goes, you know, if you want to watch a really good firefighter movie, you should watch Only the Brave. And I hadn't seen it. I went, oh, okay. So I look it up. And so the next, um, I watch movies in the morning when I'm riding my bike and stuff on the iPad. And my wife comes downstairs, like, and I'm on the bike, and I am in full-blown tears. So, And she's like, hey, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. Nate told me to watch this firefighter movie, and they're all dead. You know, I am bawling. This grown man, like, I, I called him the next day. I'm like, dude, I cannot believe you recommended this movie. I had no idea. I'd never even heard the story that all these guys, you know, go off in the woods and die. And uh, I'm sitting there on the bike just bawling. It was the funniest thing ever. Wife's like, oh, my gosh, Ben. She's like, geez, Louise, quit bawling. Grow up. Is that a fairly recent movie or is it older? Uh, 2017. It's a true story about some guys down in Arizona that got trapped. Yeah, Pres- in big- Prescott, Arizona. Super, super uh, 
super sad experience. Um, and obviously, I mean, it's, it's a very, very dangerous profession. I mean, for the most part, um, I mean, we were, we were safe in all our situations, but anytime you're dealing with fire and weather and, and all that kind of stuff, you, you just never know when things are going to go sideways. And so it's, uh, yeah, you've got to be prepared for, for anything out there. Was that the, uh, was it the U S forest service? Was it, was it that fire crew that the movie was about? Cause I, I know there was a, and maybe it's two different stories, but there was a fire. They just got overtaken. You know, and I think they lost five or six guys all at once. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just got a, they got burned over. I think it was, I think it was the, the U S forest service. And so, yeah, there's the, there's the national firefighters, the, the forest service firefighters, smoke jumpers, uh, guys like that. And then each, each state kind of has their own fire division. California has, um, such, uh, just expansive, uh, wildland and vegetation that they've got their own kind of division just for like wildland fires. And so right. that, that was the, uh, and then obviously the cities and, and other municipalities have their, their divisions as well. I mean, I had a, uh, come from a firefighting background. My, my, uh, grandpa, um, grandpa Jack Sauter, he was an awesome guy. He was a fire captain in San Francisco for years. And then my uncle uh, was a firefighter in San Francisco as well. And so I grew up hearing all those stories. Dude, that's oh, no joke. It was really neat to have that yeah. experience too, to kind of tie in, tie in with them and, and, uh, have that, have that, uh, connection. Yeah. It's, I, all the credit in the world to those firefighters. I mean, they're, they're out there in the summertime in the heat and they're fighting a fire and they're humping up hills and canyons, carrying all their gear, you know, breathing burnt or, you know, obviously the smoky dusty air. Uh, I mean, those, those guys are incredible. And then I, you got to mention the pilots too, because there was a couple oh, yeah. years ago, by my, by my house, there's a, there's a mountain range that kind of divides us from Orange County and pretty much the entire mountain range burned. And I think maybe one or two houses were lost in a couple you know, barns, but I have pictures of like DC tens beneath me because they're flying in canyons, you know, dropping a fire retardant and the helicopters are flying into the smoke. I mean, I don't, I, I hope people understand what those guys do because it's, I mean, you do you too, but <laughs> It's it's incredible. They they save so many lives. They save so many people's houses, and I don't think they get nearly the the credit they deserve. So, I'd oh yeah, the dedication, especially the the ones that have been there for years and all the experience that they have. I mean, they 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 save countless um, yeah countless lives and and numerous properties. So it's a yeah, it's an amazing job that they do. Yeah. So yeah. I will so, uh, buy anyone a beer or coffee if you're a, a wildland fire. Hell, if you're a firefighter, coffee's on me if I ever run into you. So just throwing that out there. <laughs> So what brought you down to Vegas? Was it a family job? What yeah. So, so, uh, so job brought me down to Vegas. Um, so while I was, while I was going to school, obviously I did the firefighter fighter, um, job, uh, served a mission, came back to school. And then, uh, my sophomore year, I was, I was looking for something just, just part-time. I was getting back into it. Didn't have any money. And so, uh, I ended up working for a company called Chrysalis. Uh, it's based out of Orem, Provo, Utah, area. That's about an hour south of Salt Lake City, um, for those who, who aren't familiar with the area. And uh, they're a company that, that uh, work with people with intellectual disabilities. So they help uh, people with intellectual developmental disabilities uh, live independently in the community. And so one of my roommates uh, got a job there and he came back and told us all, he's like, oh, this, this, this is a great job. We work with these really, really neat people and, and uh, it's a great part-time gig. And uh, so me and a couple of my buddies went down and applied and, and ended up getting a job there as well. 
So that's what I did um, like while I was going to school. So probably like anywhere from 20 to 30 hours a week uh, worked helping out um, these guys with, with developmental disabilities. And it was really a great experience. I mean, they uh, really, even though I was, I was their support staff, I was there to, to help them. They really became tight and, and good friends of mine. And so I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, it's funny. So I, I graduated in, in the summer of 2001. I was looking for um, an opportunity to, to go into business. So growing up in California, I love sports. The, my number one goal was to be a professional baseball player. Played a lot of baseball. That's what I wanted to do. And, and so, but after that, like if that didn't work out, my backup plan was, was to do something in business. And I didn't know what it was, but I just knew I wanted to do something in business. So growing up, like in high school, if you would have asked me, I probably would have said um, like own a, own a movie theater or a CD store or something like that. I was into music and yeah, entertainment. Hollywood, Hollywood video. Exactly. <laughs> Hollywood blockbuster, you know, like I want to I rent those DVDs out. I'm so glad that never worked out for me. But uh, so anyway, like I always want to do something in business. And so I graduated. I, I had a history major and a business minor. And my plan was to, to eventually go back and, and get a master's in business administration, an MBA. So I wanted to go get some work experience. And coming out of BYU, I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to put my resume out there and, and see what I can get. So I started applying for all these jobs. Like I was looking at financial analyst jobs and having the, the Japanese background. I'm like, oh, maybe international business or so, something like that. And, and I just, I wasn't getting anywhere with, with any of the, the applications that I was sending out. I don't know why I thought that uh, Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch or Goldman Sachs would want like a history major who was a business minor, like to, to be their financial analyst. Obviously they didn't, they're, they're smarter than that. <laughs> But uh, I, I got one token interview, I think, with Morgan Stanley. I was super excited. I thought it went well and never heard back from those guys. I even followed up and they never got back to me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So it was a couple months just looking for a job. And uh, then come September, 9-11 hit. And so at that point, um, everything uh, in the country got turned on its head. Uh, companies really just put the brakes on hiring for a while. Uh, we weren't really sure where everything was going to go. And so um, I just wasn't getting any additional responses and, and there weren't even uh, more jobs being posted. And so I was kind of getting nervous at this point. Um, I was actually working for a, as a manager uh, for one of these, these home locations, one of these apartments, uh, while my wife was finishing up school. She had a semester left. So I was working as a manager and, and just thinking like I was making nine bucks an hour. I'm like, this isn't going to cut it, like supporting my family on, on, this, uh, on this wage. And uh, come November, Chrysalis, the company I was working for, ended up uh, posting a position as a program director. They, they decided to open a new program in Las Vegas, and they were looking for a program director to, uh, to go open up and, and run their program down there. And uh, I thought, you know what, this is, this is a great opportunity. I've got a lot of experience on the, on the residential, on the home setting side. Uh, this would be great, a great opportunity to learn the administrative side of, of the business. Plus, I think it would look great on a resume trying to get into, into grad school. And so I applied for the job and ended up getting it. And so that's, that's a long story on how we got to Las Vegas. But uh, we, got, we got down here in uh, 2002. And I started working for them and we just started building up their, their company. And, and, uh, that's, that's what brought us here. Well, it couldn't have been too long after that, that you started BAI, right? So yeah, it was about, um, it was about, uh, two and a half years later. So, uh, I worked for Chrysalis, uh, for about a year and a half and, and it was, it was a really great experience. I mean, it was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had in my life. I came down, um, a friend of mine actually was a, a director 
for Chrysalis up in Utah came down to help train me and, and get the program up and going. And so we, we spent about five or six months together getting everything kind of set. Uh, I mean, we were just working out of his apartment to start. So we were looking for office space and we were doing all the hiring and got a crash course in, in HR and, and how to do deal with employee relations. And, and we we're working with the state and we we're working with families as we're placing uh, their family members and, and different individuals in, into the homes. And so I uh, worked with him for about five or six months and then he ended up leaving. I mean, he was, he was done. So it was turned over to me and, and from like June of, of 2002 until uh, January of 2003, man, that was, that was rough. So I was trying to keep on top of everything. The state was giving us all these contracts and I was just trying to get people through the door and, and do all the training. I was the, like the HR manager. So I was doing new employee orientations and uh, doing corrective actions and trying to hire a secretary and all the, all this kind of stuff um, that I had no real experience with prior to that. And, uh, so anyway, first six months were rough. We got, uh, an assistant administrator six months later and, and that was good. Uh, but about that time, so like January of 2003, I got a call from the same buddy who was down training with me. And he's like, Hey, Nate, he's like, um, I, I want to let you know, I, I'm leaving Chrysalis. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And I'm coming down to Vegas. I'm going to start my own company. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And so we, we start talking, I'm super excited for him. And then he kind of throws out, he's like, um, uh, do you want to, do you want to do something with me? Like partnership wise or something like that? And I'm like, I would love to, man. I mean, that, that sounds awesome. So we kind of start kicking some things around and I'm still working for crystals at the time. So, and they've been, it was a hard, hard job, but they'd been really good to me. So I didn't necessarily want to just leave them hanging or, or whatever. So we're just kind of kicking around some ideas and, and we, we worked out some details as far as how we're going to have this kind of structured um, with how, what his role is going to be, what my role is going to be kind of percentage of the companies and things like that. And so at that point I decided to, to give my notice to Chrysalis and this is in the summer. So I think like June or July, I give them like, six or eight weeks notice and say, Hey, I, I've got some, some different options and, and some different things that I'm going to be doing. I'm really sorry. Thanks for the opportunity. And so I end up leaving and uh, I go start working with my buddy and uh, we we're still kind of flushing things out. We don't have anything totally set yet with contracts or, or anything or contract agreements or operating agreements. I mean, we're just both kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And, and uh, as we're talking things out, I mean, it's, it's still his company. I haven't signed on to do anything yet. And uh, about a month later, um, he ends up calling me one night and he's like, Nate, he's like, I know we've talked about a lot of stuff, but the way we have things set up, like, I'm sorry, but it's not really going to work out. Like, I don't think we can move forward doing it the way we, we had talked about. And I was like, kind of shocked. Like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> like I quit my job. Um, like at this point, like we were expecting our first child and wow. in like four months and I'm like, and I had, and that's where, that's where the boy I can associates came from because I actually set that up to be kind of like a bookkeeping accounting company. And I was going to do all his books and he was going to have some ownership in, in our accounting company, but then I was going to have a certain percentage of ownership in, in his company. And, and that's how we were working things out. And then, yeah, he called me and said, yeah, we're not going to be able to do it. I'm just like, Oh man, what, what, what are we going to do? Did he ever give oh. you a reason? Did he ever say that ever say why or yeah, I mean, he had he had just had some second thoughts, and and he just wasn't totally comfortable. Um, like he he and his wife didn't didn't feel totally comfortable with how things were set up, and and uh, just how they wanted to do things moving forward. And they just wanted, I think, more control over how things operated. And and uh, so yeah, they just that's, that's the direction they wanted to go. But is he, was, is he still I, in business? He's 
he's uh he's actually he's doing and he's still a good friend of mine um he's actually doing a different business uh up in utah now oh. but uh yeah no no he's 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 not in business anymore he actually ended up uh selling like three or four years later after that um and, and ended up uh kind of moving on and doing some different things so but um yeah so, so do you have to sit there and look at your wife and go I mean, what was that conversation? Yeah, it was like? funny. We were actually sitting in, we were sitting in Dallas, Texas at the time. My wife, uh, she had a really good job. She was working as a research coordinator for a urologist here in Las Vegas. And, and she would recruit uh, patients for these uh, clinical trials. And, and she had a great job. And so she was actually out uh, in Dallas doing a, a new site uh, training with uh, Eli Lilly. And so I was just kind of tagging along just with her. And, and that was where we were when we got the call saying, hey, sorry, this isn't going to work out. And we just kind of sat, sat and I remember looking at her and it was like, well, I guess we got to we got to come up with a different plan. So uh, we yeah, it took a few months and we kind of kicked some things around and we're like, well, I guess that, there goes our, our, our accounting business. <laughs> what are we going to do? So we, we were talking about stuff and, and uh, I'd actually enrolled in, in UNLV's MBA program, like, like right before that too, because I still want to get an MBA, but we we're set like, Hey, let's make this work in Vegas. So we just kind of had to, had to do some stuff on the fly and in just talking things out and, and praying and, and just kind of like wanting to know like what was going to be the best direction for our family. We just came to the realization that, Hey, if, if we were going to do this business with my buddy, why not just do it on our own? Like we can do it. Like I've, I've worked with the state for a year and a half. Like I still have a lot of good relationships over there and, and let's, let's give this a shot. And so I ended up setting up a meeting with uh, two of the to head state folks that are over disability services here in Las Vegas and, and went and gave them my pitch. I mean, I was like 26 years old and I went in there and said, Hey, I know uh, you worked with me for a little while at Chrysalis and I hope you liked what we did. And, and I'm, I'm not there anymore. And I'm really interested in, in contracting with you guys would you be willing to give me a shot? And uh, thankfully they said, they said, yeah, you know what? Well, uh, no guarantees. When Chrysalis came down, I mean, they had all sorts of guarantees as far as how many houses they would get and how many clients they would serve and all this stuff. And they basically guaranteed me zero, but they said, Hey, we'll, uh, we'll let you open up a contract and, and let people like interview you. And if they, if they want you to provide services, then uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and see how it goes. So um, that's, that's kind of how we got started. Can you talk a little, like you said, contracting and, and housing and things like what, when you went to the state, like what exactly would they come to you for? Like what services and what products are you providing them? Yeah. So what, what we do is we provide, it's, it's like a assisted living services for individuals with developmental disabilities. Okay. And we serve a wide range of folks. Most of the people that we support uh, need 24 hour supervision or assistance. And so they need, uh, they need a staff person or an employee there. Uh, for the most part, just to make sure if anything happens, that there's someone there that can take care of an emergency kind of situation. But we're, we're there uh, to help them be as independent as they can. And so um, kind of funny story, like I said, we, we started off and, and our company was Boyack and Associates, Inc. And uh, we really didn't have any money. And so we were trying to figure out, OK, how can we use our current company, but come up with like a disability services name? So we started kicking around like all these things with with Boyack, Boyack Services, all this kind of stuff and nothing just felt right. And, and my wife, we we're looking at the, the uh, letters BAI and my wife one time, she's like, well, what about bringing about independence? And that just, that just totally hit and it just rung true. I'm like, that's exactly like what we want to do. Awesome. Like we want to bring about independence 
for the people that we work with. And so that's, that's what we ended up rolling with. We just call the BAI bringing about independence. And that's, that's what we try to do. We try to fill in the gaps with, with our clients uh, to help them be as independent as they can. So we help them with anything from cooking, cleaning, shopping, um, activities of daily living, things you and I like to do um, out in the community. They like to do too. So they just need, they just need, need some support to be able to do it. That seems like a lot of work to set up on the front end. I mean, you have to hire. Like, that's why I was asking. I mean, that's how much lead time did you have from the time you had, you got notified, you got a contract, you actually having to place someone into, you know, one of your homes. So we had, um, we had about six months. Okay. Uh, I actually had a non-compete clause with Chrysalis uh, that I wanted to honor. And so um, since I, I'd quit like in the summer, like I had to wait until July of uh, 2004 to get started. Okay. And uh, so I had a little bit of time, but like I said, I mean, we were having, my wife was pregnant. We were planning our first child. I'm like, well, what am I going to do for six, seven months before our contracts start? And uh, like I said, my wife was working as a clinical research coordinator and she was, she was awesome at her job. Her, um, the doctor and, and his wife just loved having her work there. And uh, they were, they were kind and gracious enough. And we, we feel like it's a, it's a huge blessing in our life to where like, I basically took over her job for like six or seven months. I think they just kind of wanted to keep her like on staff because she, she was so good at it, but they let me kind of work vicariously through her okay. uh, until we were able to get things set up. And I just kind of slid in and, and she was able to kind of work behind the scenes, but I was able to do all the front end uh, work at the doctor's office. And it, it really kind of saved us and, and tided us over um, those six, seven months until we were able to get going. Uh, but like I said, I mean, we were like during that time, it was good because we were able to really kind of develop um, some more relationships with the state and look at some some contracts and some some different things with some clients that were coming on board and things like that. So, yeah, we started in uh, in July of 2004. We got our first two contracts uh, and we had two guys uh, that were roommates that lived in an apartment complex here in town. So you're right. I mean, I had to go to the apartment complex and secure a place for them to live and meet with the families and and figure out what we're going to do with staffing and hire people. I didn't have an office yet. And so like, it was, it probably looked pretty shady. I, we, we didn't have like indeed or um, monster.com or any yeah. of those things back then. So I was putting ads in the paper in the local paper, the review journal, Hey, I'm looking for employees <laughs> and they'd call up and, and I am sure it sounded just like, like a shady deal. I mean, yeah, meet me at this apartment complex <laughs> for an interview in their lobby. <laughs> And uh, they're like, what? And I don't, I don't know how we did it, but we did get some people that ended up showing up and ended up working out for us. So it was, it was, uh, it was good. That's awesome. What was, the, what was the biggest challenge you faced getting started? Like what was the, I think it was hurdle? just, it was just the, the amount of time that, that it took to, uh, to get everything going. So okay. I was like, I was employee number one. And so we had these two guys that we were working with and the way the schedules work, most of our folks go to work during the day. So okay. from maybe like eight to two or eight to three. And, um, these guys didn't need 24 hour supervision. So that was actually a huge blessing too. So okay. most of our homes now we've got an overnight employee that stays there an overnight staff. And we've got around the clock supervision. When they go to work, they go to a place where they have supervision too. And when they come back home, there's employees there to help them as well. But these guys didn't That's need incredible. overnight supervision. So they could get up on their own. They could get off to work, which was great. And so um, they, I would work with them from like two or three in the afternoon until like 10 or 11 at night, Monday through Friday. 
I'd work with them like all day Saturday from like eight in the morning until like 11 at night. And then on Sundays, it was really great too, because they would go home with their families like every week. And so I didn't need to support uh, them with, with employees or staffing on Sundays. And so it was, it was awesome. Like I was able to spend time with my wife and, and our newborn son and, and attend church meetings and, and just have some of that like relaxation time as well before I hit it again. But I mean, I'm, I'm up like at 5.30, 6 in the morning, those days, like doing all the business stuff, trying to get things worked out, interviewing employees, coming up with all of our policies, procedures, uh, try, talking with the state, trying to get new clients at the same time. And then at 2.30, going to work with those guys until 10 or 11 at night and then doing the same thing over and over. So the first six to eight months, I mean, it's a grind. I mean, it was like, it was probably the, the hardest eight months of my life as far as just, just putting in the time and the effort and, and trying to balance everything and hire employees. And then you get people that don't show up or they flake out and you're, you're on call all the time too. If there's an emergency, they call you. So it's like, Hey, if you need to go in for something, you're the one that they call and, and you're the one that has to take care of it. So it was, it was, uh, it was tough, but I learned so many things during that time that, uh, I mean, it's, it's like one of those, it's like one of those hikes. I don't know if you guys have, have hiked, like done a hike up a mountain or, or just one of those super long hikes where you're like, you know what? I'll, I'm glad I did that, but I never want to do that. again. So <laughs> that's, that's what it was like. I look back on, I'm like, you I'm weren't so in the military. Time. You weren't in the military, yeah. but that's like 90% of the stuff you do in the military. Like that was the most awesome thing ever, but I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly how it feels. So, but yeah. we wouldn't be where we are today unless we went through it. So there, there are so many, uh, lessons and, and things that I learned um, going through that process that just could have been learned uh, in in another way. Do you feel like um, your 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 mission for your church, uh, the lessons you got taught there for, for you know working hard, perseverance, struggling with the language, and having to deal with? I mean, did that all help mold you know your personality and to deal with that that time frame? Oh, definitely. I think as a as a missionary, I mean, you're out you're out every day too. And you're working. Uh, I mean, you're getting up at six and you're doing like study and stuff like that. But then you're out from like nine o'clock in the morning until nine at night, trying to talk to people about um, God and, and Jesus Christ and what brings personal peace to us and what we feel could hopefully bring personal peace and, and uh, joy to, to other people's lives. But most of the people that we talk to you aren't interested. I mean, we're, we're knocking doors and we're talking to people on the street and people have their lives they're living. And I mean, we found some folks that were, that were interested in, in our message. They were, they were looking for things and had great experiences doing it. But a lot of the time, I mean, it's just hard and you don't have someone micromanaging you. You don't have your mom or dad waking you up or pulling the covers off you and say, Hey, get up. I mean, if, if you want to be lazy, you can. So um, yeah, I mean, just, just the lessons from, going through that really kind of prepared me for that grind um, that it, that it takes to, to kind of take that leap of faith and, and, and start your own business and, and start your own company. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. I imagine, I mean, I was just thinking about what you're doing. I mean, not only you're starting a business, right. You're starting it from scratch almost, but you're also in, you also have other people that are depending on you, right. That are relying on your services. I bet that added an extra layer of stress. You know, it's not like you're making widgets where you can like, ah, I'm done for the day. Like you've actually, that's what was most striking about what you said is that not only you're putting together a business, you're also taking care of your the patients, clients. I mean, how do you refer yeah. to them? But yeah, no, we, uh, we refer to, to the, yeah, the, the, the people that we serve, we just 
we just call them individuals. I mean, okay. clients, individuals. Um, but yeah, it's not like you can just shut off the lights and say, okay, I'll be back at it tomorrow. It's like, I mean, you've got your phone by you and it's, it's on all the time. So yeah, if there's an emergency in the middle of the night, or like I said, like now if, if a staff person doesn't show up for a graveyard shift, we have to have someone there. And so we have to have all these systems in place to make sure that, that our folks are taken care of. And if, yeah, someone needs to go to the hospital or they get sick or some other kind of emergency, then yeah, we're, we're the ones that are, that are there to, to take care of them. So it's, it's a 24 seven deal. So yeah, it's, it was, it was a lot. So right. Nate, I, I knew you when you started, you know, I think we probably met right when you were starting, uh, boy, and associates probably. And, uh, and, and I know where you're at now. Um, I mean, talked a little bit about how you've scaled up. I mean, cause you, you went from two guys in an apartment. Now you have homes, you know, couple hundred employees, you know, you got about a million moving parts. So how, talk a little bit about how you scaled over the last 15 years. Yeah, it's been a, like I said, it's, it's been a great experience and we just, we've just been slow and steady. You know, it's, it's like, um, one thing that I realized when, when I was with Chrysalis and I was down here opening up their program, like we just went, we went so fast and it was, there was pressure from the corporate office. Like, Hey, we got to get these homes open. We put a lot of money into this program. And then the state promised Chrysalis, like so many homes per month. And so like, I really felt like we were over our skis, so to speak, as far as how we grew. And, and we, and I saw that it wasn't, what I wanted to do if I was doing it on my own. So I wanted to make sure that um, quality was there first before quantity. And so that's, that's the approach that we've taken. Um, I mean, sometimes like you see these companies that just ramp up and they try to go for it and then they fizzle out and die just because their, their processes aren't in place. And then they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of issues with quality control and different things. And so, especially in, in the human service field, like you can't have that. Like if you have a significant issue with one of, one of the people that you serve, one of your clients, then that could be the end of your business. And so we were just slow and steady and, and we would take on uh, clients as we could. Uh, but then there were times where I had to say, no, you know, we can't, we can't take anybody on right now just because I'm, we're, we're short staffed or I'm still working on some hiring or some internal things. And so we just slowly built it, uh, over the years and we built the team and we've had to, uh, like I said, I mean, we had some employees that we hired and maybe they lasted a day. Maybe they didn't even show up for their first shift. And then we've had some other employees that have been with us, uh, going on like 10, 15 years now for, for the time that, that we've almost um, been, been up and going. So, uh, it's just been that, that slow development and, and it takes a while to build a culture. So you can't just do that overnight. So you've got to, you've got to build, uh, the philosophy, you got to bring people in and, and keep the ones that buy in and, and then, um, not keep the ones that are disruptive to that philosophy. So that's what we've done and and that, uh, that model's worked for us. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been good. Very cool. So is it a uh, higher slow? Is it higher slow fire fast? Is that the, is that the motto? <laughs> yeah. If you need to make a change, it's, it's good to do it quick, especially if you know on the front end, like if someone, if someone's going to be a problem for you um, and you can recognize it right away, it's, it's so much easier to say, look, it's just not working out. We're going to have to go a different direction than trying to, to nurse it along for six months, a year, year and a half. And then something big blows up and you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I, I could have seen this, coming uh, a long time ago and I should have done something about it on the front end. Dude, when I was working at one of the big agencies, when I was a partner there, we had to fire a, a young lady and uh, I am the absolute worst. It took me an hour and a half to tell her that we were letting her go. <laughs> and she, she kept giving me the, 
well, I can work on it. And I, I kept trying to be really firm. And finally, finally, our, uh, our, uh, our, C, our uh, CFO walks in and she's like, hey, let me talk to you outside real quick. And I went out there and she goes, you've been in there for 90 minutes trying to fire this. She goes, I'll be right back. She literally walks in. We're going to let you go. We got to go in a different direction. I'm sorry. Here's your severance check. Thank you. Clear out your desk. Walks out. And I, I was in there babbling, dude, for, for like 90 minutes. Like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry about your dog. And, your, oh, you know, these are the reasons why. And uh, it was so funny. That's, uh, that's really funny. It's, it's interesting because you don't, it's, it's something that they don't, they don't teach you how to do that. Like at school, right? I, or, unnatural (laughs) yeah exactly and you're and you like i'm a people pleaser so like my first i remember my first time i had to let someone go um it was with chrysalis and and uh we had this we had this house and we had a driver that would that would take our guys to work to and from home to work and one day we get a call from the neighbor and they say um i just want to let you know like the lady that drives the guys from that house to and from work she just stole my dog i'm like (laughs) wait what and she's like, yeah, like our dog was just outside on the sidewalk and your driver went out there and picked it up and threw it in the van and took off. And we're like, what the heck? So we, we call the lady and, and she's like, oh, no, I didn't take their dog and all this stuff. And we're just kind of going back and forth. We're really confused. And the neighbor's like insistent that this lady took her dog. So we bring her in a couple more times. And finally, she admits that she did take the dog. I don't I have no idea why she did it. But then she ended up giving the dog to her friend. And then she's telling us the story, like how, how she thought the dog was lost. And, and the neighbor was like, it had a tag on it with the dog's name and address. Like, what are you talking about? And so my buddy, he was working with me, he was training me. He's like, all right, Nate, you're up for this one. And uh, <laughs> so I, I'd never fired anybody before. And so like, she comes in and, and she's all dressed in white, like white pants, white shirt. And she's giving us this sob story too. And I, I probably felt like Ben, I'm like, oh, I feel really bad for you. And, and my, my buddy, like, let me babble on for like 20 minutes. And finally he, he pulled, he pulled like, like that lady did with you, Ben. He just comes in and says, um, yeah, it's not working out. You got to go. And like, yeah. gave her check and that was, uh, it. And I'm like, okay. Dude, okay. My CF, you literally did. The CFO was in there for 90 seconds. I was in there babbling for 90 <laughs> minutes. Like blah, 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 blah. Stole the dog. She's yeah. She took the I've dog. I've never even heard that. Like who steals a dog? Exactly. Who steals a dog from the sidewalk, man? I mean, it's one thing if you find a dog like in the middle of the street or in the freeway or something, but yeah, she just picked it up off the sidewalk and the neighbor watched her do it. It's like, oh my gosh. Was it a cute dog? Yeah, it was like a little puppy. I don't even know what kind it was, but yeah, it wasn't like, yeah. I think it was, I don't know. It it was crazy. Somebody stole Lady Gaga's dog not too long ago. I think it's worth like, they put it up for ransom for like half a million bucks or something, didn't they? (laughs) I think so. That, That makes a little sense, but just to steal the neighbor's dog. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, that's crazy. So I know you, so you, you, you're getting, you know, you're, you're passionate about BAI, you're growing. And then you went into, um, you started a whole nother division called, uh, Sage Healthcare, uh, health services. Talk a little bit about that. I know that's, uh, that's, that's close to your heart and what you're doing for, for autistic, uh, individuals. It, it is. And, and it's, it's in the healthcare, healthcare industry, healthcare field. Um, and really it, it kind of came about, um, when, when the economy crashed in like 2008, 2009, uh, everybody kind of put the brakes on, on, uh, adding services. And so we just kind of had to, we, we were fortunate enough to be able to, to not lose any funding at that time, but the state really wasn't growing. And so 
BAI was at a place where we were just kind of maybe looking for some other things and we were just focusing internally on some of our practices and things like that. But uh, the opportunity came up to uh, kind of go into therapy and uh, go that route. And so that's really how Sage got started. Um, had a had a, a friend of mine and then actually a, a program director who was working for me at the time. The three of us kind of got together and said, hey, let's let's look at s- setting up a therapy program. And, and we came up with Sage Health Services and, and started it as a, like an outpatient uh, therapy clinic doing counseling and things like that. And so that's really how it got going. And uh, we, we did that for a few years and then um, about five or six years ago, added the autism division to it and uh, started doing that. And then like two or three years ago, things were just not really going well um, organizationally, like as far as just some of the billing and different things. And we, we were kind of really stretched thin as far as what we're doing with services. We're trying to do too much uh, with Sage. And so we needed to consolidate some things and realize that in order to make it work, we really needed to kind of scale it back before we could take it to that next level. And so we did some, some reorganization and, and uh, one, one of the partners went off and, and kind of took the therapy division uh, with him. And then me and my current partner uh, continued going with, with the autism division. And uh, we've been doing that just solely for the last two to three years. And it's, it's been great. We've, we've got a lot of great people that we're working with. We've got about uh, 80 to 90 clients that we work with both in Las Vegas and up in Reno. And, and it's, uh, it's been great to see the development and the progress in the kids and, and with the therapies that are available out there to, uh, to help them uh, be more independent and, and learn, learn more skills. You know, I, I read an article the other day that said, and I'm, I, I'm going to misquote it, but that there's a significant amount of, of people being born that are, you know, somewhere on the scale, uh, on the autistic scale, on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, Talk, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously you have individual slash client um, confidentiality, but can you tell a story about some somebody that maybe you've helped and how it, because I, I know there's a lot of listeners and people out there that are dealing with this and it's a, you know, it's, I, I have a real good friend who has two autistic children and it's, she loves them and she works her butt off and it's very difficult, but it's probably the most, one of the most fulfilling things in her life. So, you know, is there, talk a little bit about maybe a story or something you can share. I I mean, even personally, I've got, um, my, my nephew, my, my sister's oldest son, uh, is autistic. And so, um, the, the one thing that that I can say is, is getting uh, services and treatment, um, earlier, the better. So if, if there's, if there's a question, I, as far as like, if there may be a developmental delay or, or some type of autism diagnosis, uh, the earlier that you can start therapy, uh, the better for these kids. I mean, we've seen, we've seen some tremendous strides with, with some of our clients and we work with some, some young kids, even like two, three, four years old. And we've seen some where we started with them like two, three years ago. And now they're at a point where going into like kindergarten, first grade, they're not really needing our services anymore. I mean, there's, they're still going to need some supports in school and different things like that. And it honestly, it just depends. I mean, the spectrum is very, very wide as far as the, the types of, of services that, that could be necessary. Uh, but we've, we've seen so much success. I mean, we've got great, um, therapists and, and behaviorists and, um, and technicians that work with our kids where even after just a few sessions, like parents are amazed at, at the progress that the kids have made, even after just a, a few sessions, few weeks, few months of services with them. So, and, and luckily in Nevada, and I don't know how it is nationwide, but, but in Nevada, um, most, most insurances will cover autism 
autism treatment and uh, Medicaid covers autism treatment as well. And so uh, if no matter what insurance panel you're on, it, it's most likely uh, covered. So if, if there's a need out there and I'm happy, um, I, I talk to families all the time, even if we can't provide services for them, I'm, I'm happy to talk to them about uh, contacts that I have or, or resources or options um, as far as getting help, both with the autism side or with the developmental services side. I mean, I, I have families that'll call me all the time and say, hey, I, I've got a son or daughter in services. What do you recommend? What are the steps? And, and there's certain things that we contract, we contract with the state as far as services go um, at BAI. And so like for anybody that's looking for that, those kinds of supports, like you've got to go through the, the state system to open up a case and do that kind of stuff. But um, anyway, yeah, it's, there, there's a lot of options out there and, and there's a lot of people that are willing to help. So is Sage, Sage is private though. It is. Yeah. Okay. It is. And we contract with, uh, with, uh, like I said, we, we, we serve Medicaid folks and then we also do other private insurance as well. So. And do you know, talk. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. I was going to say briefly, can you talk for someone like for parents, maybe that have children, can you talk about maybe some of the warning signs of autism or maybe some things that people could look for that may require treatment? Yeah, I think, I mean, you look at, you look at just, just, uh, standardized, uh, developmental, um, aspects or, or, uh, life kind of steps in children. And a lot of times, uh, physicians are really on top of it. And so okay. like, as, as you take, as you take your children to the doctor for their checkups, they'll, they'll ask you, Hey, are they checking all these boxes? And, and a lot of times if, if they've got some type of disability, um, or maybe they're somewhere on the autism spectrum, like there may be some of those boxes that they're not checking. And so that's, that's really the first place to start. I mean, parents can kind of know if it's your first child, sometimes you don't know, um, our, our oldest, uh, child, he was actually really delayed in speaking. And so we thought that there may be something wrong um, for a few months with him as far as just like developmental delays or something like that. And, and uh, so we ended up taking him to the doctor and getting some testing done and everything came back normal. And uh, so we, like, and he was just kind of a slow developer with his speech and, and things like that. But uh, I would say I would recommend, yeah, talk to your pediatrician. Uh, and then there's, there's a lot of uh, government assistance and, and uh, county health assistance out there for testing and different things like that to, to help families out in those kinds of situations. Interesting. Now, I, I'm not very familiar with autism, so that's why I'm asking, but um, do you feel like, I know you said you're, you're making a lot of progress in, in the young children. Do you feel like autism is, um, maybe I don't know the right question to ask, but is it more of a, is, can it be cured? And I, mean, I don't want to say cured, but is it more of a therapy issue or do you feel like, or is autism more of a, um, I don't want to say mental issue, but that's for lack of a better term. Is it kind of a, I'm not, I know I'm not asking the right term, but is it, is it, how correctable is it? I guess is what I should say. Yeah. Is so it a cur think, curable, curable yeah. situation? Yeah. And it, I think it, it honestly just depends. Like I said, the spectrum is so broad. So there's, there's some, there's some folks with autism or some kids with autism that, that may never speak or may never be able to develop those skills. But then there's others that are not, uh, that are, I for lack of a better term, kind of lighter on the spectrum where they can, uh, with, with the right therapies and, and work, uh, can develop a lot of those skills. And so it's, it's a wide range and it's really, okay. it's not like you've got like four different sections and you say, yeah, you, you go in sections one or two or three or four. Um, it's, it's, it's a really wide range. And so you've got to have a, a program that's tailored uh, to, to the individual, to the kid. And so that's, that's, there's a, they're called BCBAs. And so those are the master's level, they're behaviorists and they're, they're able to come in and, and do assessments and evaluate 
And there's all, there's all sorts of assessment programs out there. So they're able to come in and, and do assessments with the families, with the kids and, and come up with and kind of really see where, where the kid is on, on the spectrum, where the child is and work with the doctor and the physician and then tailor a program that's going to be best uh, suited to, to help them um, develop it as much as they can. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'd, you're the first person I've talked to that has um, had that expertise. So that's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's awesome work that you're doing. I'm glad to hear all that. That's, that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, so I know you. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. I, I was just going to say, I know, Nate, that you, I mean, you you set these companies up for profit. You, I mean, you did it as a business, right? Um, but how, how fulfilling, I mean, on a daily basis, do you go home? I mean, I mean, how fulfilled do you feel when you go home? I mean, you know, all of our listeners know, and you know as well, that, you know, Lindsay and I started Ma Deuce Nation. And part of that is, is because of my passion for the military, but also we just felt like if we could do something to give back and, and you do that on a daily basis. I mean, we're selling t-shirts and trying to give money to charities, right. But you on a daily basis are helping people in need. I mean, how does that feel when you go home? It's a, it's, it's a good, it's a good, it's, it's a great industry to be in. So I don't want to say like, Oh my gosh, like I just feel super great every night. Like we're, we're saving the world necessarily. <laughs> right. Right. But, but I, you, we do feel good about the services that we provide and, and is everything perfect? No. I mean, we make plenty of mistakes and, and like you said, Ben, I mean, we've got about 200 employees of BAI and, and there's folks that, that mess up and, and we've got to correct things. But overall, I mean, the individuals that we support are just, are just awesome. So they'll like, when they're in the office, like they'll come by and they'll say hi. And when we're out doing home visits, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to chat, chat with them and see how things are going. And, and it's really neat to see them live um, as happy a life as they can. And so it is, it's, it's rewarding. I mean, and we've got a really good team in place. It's taken years to develop, but we've got, we've got really good people on board. And that's, that's one of the things that, that I'd recommend is as far as like, if you're, if you're building a business, whether it's with, uh, with doing t-shirts or, or whatever it is. I mean, I've, I've heard some of the other podcasts that, that you guys have done. And I mean, there's, there's the, uh, the drunken butcher who's, who's doing seasonings. And then there's, there's the, the coffee and, and there's all sorts of different stuff. And that brings, that brings happiness to people too. So we're just doing it on, on the human services side, but anytime you're like, I love it when I can wear a cool t-shirt, Ben. So like <laughs> that, that, that kind of business is, is really we have the coolest t-shirts. Exactly. Uh, no, exactly. I, I mean, and that, that's kind of what I'm getting at is that, I mean, there's a lot of people that are going to work every day and they clock in and they clock out. And, you know, I think part of our goal, Brian and, and myself, our goal is, is to inspire people. Hopefully we're inspiring people or at least giving them a foot to get off the couch to do something that they're passionate about that maybe they've always wanted to do and find, you know, I mean, how many people get to, you know, they love what they do and do what they love kind of cliche you know i mean just i just feel like what you're doing is like just serving a lot of of people and you're also getting to be a passionate business owner you're getting to you know help employees 200 employees man that's no joke that's you're you're supporting 200 families you know um it's just uh i i'm happy that i know you i think i think you're an outstanding one i i've worked with you on the business side so i know you're an outstanding business person but i know you're a good dude and you care about each and every individual that you work with. So, yeah, no, they're, they're great. And so, yeah, you can, you, we, we feel good about, about what we're doing and, and our quality is, is, 
um, at a level that, that I feel good about too. Like I said, I mean, we've got, we've got a great team. Um, and so there's no way that, that I could do this by myself. I mean, you've got to have a good team in place to be able to do it. I mean, Ben, like we worked together for a long time, just on the insurance side and without like your expertise with that, I know, uh, like looking at things when we were starting, it's like, you would bring, you'd bring things to me to say, Hey, what about this? Or do you have the right coverages? And you're looking at these different things. And, and that was, that was helpful. I mean, I, there were, there were things, there were, there were areas in our business that weren't necessarily covered when we first started talking. And so like having, having a team like that, where you've got like, you've got your in-house, you've got your employees that you work with and in the, that you're paying, but you also have like the other folks that you work with. You've got your accountants, you've, you've got your insurance team, you've got, you've got your bank team, you've got all these different people and, and finding that, that good team is, is really, I think the most important part of, of getting any successful business off the ground. So if you've got a weak link in one of those, like it's going to bring you down. So finding those people and bringing them together is, uh, is, is huge in being able to get, get something strong going. Can you give us some tips on how you're finding good people on that team and how you maintain that, that culture that you talked about? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is just uh, kind of getting out there and networking and, and kind of going back to the mission experience. I mean, we were out like, talking to people all the time. And, and I, I feel like I'm a pretty social guy, but you kind of have to get out of yourself in a lot of ways, like as a missionary and, and you have to put yourself out there and knowing that people probably may not want to hear what you have to say and be um, ready to accept like a no answer or things like that. But same with, with developing different relationships, like just going, like I, I met Ben through basketball. So just going out there and getting in the community and, and having different passions and different things and then just striking up conversations with people. Hey, what do you do? Oh, really? That's interesting. And, and um, like the accountant that I the, that we contract with, I've known him. He actually used to work uh, like as a contractor for Chrysalis. Like he was their like outside sourced contractor for accounting. And so I, I met him through softball. Like when we, when we're on a softball team together, when I was up in, up in Provo going to school and it's like, just kind of keeping those relationships up and, and getting the word out and then uh, developing those and then finding the ones that work for you. And then obviously if, if they don't work moving on and, and finding something else, but just, just being able to network that way um, is really important. That's funny. We, we ask every, uh, we ask every guest at the end, like, Hey, if you could give one piece of advice, I think you just gave the best piece of advice in a, in a longer statement that we've ever had on, Hey, when you're starting a business, you got to have it. I mean, that was amazing. That was, I mean, we, we don't even have to ask you now. <laughs> <laughs> See, I planned that perfectly. That was, that was all my idea. It's all, it's all Brian. <laughs> you're, you're a smooth operator. No, I wish. Well, that's awesome. Um, you know, for someone who's interested in, um, working in the human services industry, because what you're talking about seems really fulfilling. I mean, as far as careers go, and I think it would be really awesome for someone who maybe is kind of in that healthcare arena to, to work with you guys. So, I mean, what kind of requirements, you know, if someone is out there is interested in what you're doing and would like to work with you, like what, what requirements do you look for? You know, what um, education does somebody need to, to do the job? Yeah. As, as far as, um, as far as working in the field, and working as a support staff, I mean, we, we hire folks. I mean, it's, it's pretty basic as far as like high school education. And there's a lot of in-house training that we do, uh, like with um, just medical first aid, CPR, behavioral training, medication training, different things like that. Uh, as far as on the administrative side, um, honestly, we, we like to have someone that's, that's worked um, in the field at least for a while. And so they're familiar with the types of services and programs that we run. Um, and then if they're wanting to take that, that step, uh, into the administrative level, or even if they want to take that step 
that next step further and, and go into the, the kind of the business um, realm of the industry, then getting some type of management experience is the best thing to do before jumping off and, and doing something on your own. I mean, my my experience with with Chrysalis as their program director, though it was extremely hard and difficult, mm-hmm. it was the best preparation that I had to get into it, to what we're doing now. So just really experiencing that on the front end, I feel real fortunate and blessed that I was able to kind of have a crash course um, while I was working for another company. And I think a lot of people may, may do that. If they want to get into an industry, they'll start working in an industry for a while and then they'll decide, okay, you know what, I really want to do this on my own. And then they'll kind of jump off and, and do it. It's, it's kind of hard to just get into it. Um, just a, an example, there's, there's a guy that tried to start his own company uh, in, in our field um, about a year and a half, two years ago. And he hired someone from another company to kind of run the, the organization for him. And they just, yeah. they just didn't do a really good job. And he didn't really have the background knowledge to know enough that she wasn't doing a good job. And so he ran into some significant issues with, with some billing and service delivery and some different things where after about a year, he actually had to close just because he just wasn't, he wasn't providing the service and doing things correctly. And so you really kind of have to have an inside knowledge first um, before going off on your own, yeah. but there, okay. there's, there's a lot of positions available, especially right now. I mean, we've had a real tough time hiring, especially the last five or six months. Um, it's starting to get a little bit better the last couple of weeks, but, uh, just, we, we've got a lot of, a lot of open positions and, uh, and not a lot of applicants. Hopefully, hopefully that changes here in the next little bit, but why do you, why do you think you were having such a hard time? Not to, uh, not to get into too many of those details, but I think, Okay. Uh, just with with COVID and and uh, some of those things that are out there, especially with some some unemployment extensions and things like that, where gotcha. it's just been hard, especially for entry level positions. Um, a lot of our like the folks that we would try to recruit uh, for the time being can make more money not going to work, and so that's that's been a real challenge for us. But uh, hopefully, like I said, I mean within the next month or two, it looks like that's that's going to be changing um, here for us. So uh, so yeah, fingers crossed that, that it gets a little bit better on the employment side. Cool. That's very cool. Do you have any, do you have any plans to expand uh, outside of Nevada? If you think that's a possibility? Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I'm always open to, uh, to looking at other options. Uh, one thing that I, and I was, I was thinking about that. I, I've heard you ask like that question, like as far as with other guests, like what are your plans for expansion or how big yeah. do you want to get? And in thinking about, and thinking about that to me, the biggest thing for me is, is my time. And so I want to be able to have, have time to devote to the business, but I also want to have time to to devote to my family, um, to different volunteer organizations, to my church. Um, and so right now, like, I feel like as my kids are growing up, like I'm in a place where like, if I wanted to, yeah, could we look at going out of state or acquiring maybe some other programs in other States and really building this up and ramping it up? Sure. But at what cost? And right now, to me, where, where my kids are, I mean, they're, they're, anywhere, they're from 10 to, to 17. And so I've got just a little bit more of a window, like maybe eight or nine years where they're going to be with me at, at home. And so I want to I work and, and I love working and I like to work hard, but I also want to be able to have the time to, to do things with them when I want to do it. I don't want to get called off to some other state because there's an emergency or we got to go fix this or fix that. It's like, look, if we want to go do something as a family for a while or take a day here or there or, or go on a trip or something, then, then I want to be able to do it. And, and you know what, in, in, in my, in my view, like we've got my whole life to work and, and there's, 
there's money out there uh, for people that want it and, and want to work hard for it. And so um, I, I anticipate that I'll be working for a long time. So we may we may cross that bridge down the road. But for now, we're, we're good just to kind of grow organically and, and continue in Las Vegas and with Sage in, in uh, Vegas and Reno. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's a perfect answer. I'd... Yeah, time is the most valuable thing on the planet. And no matter what you do, you can never make more of it. So I think you're uh, you're right on there. So very cool. Well, um, I think it's been an awesome conversation, Ben. I don't want to cut you off. Is there anything else that you want to ask before we, uh, we say goodbye? But I, I'm your oldest son. Is he going soon on a mission? So he's uh, he's going to be a senior in high school. And so, yeah, he's probably he's talking about it right now. He's planning on it. He doesn't know if he's going to go to, to school first or a lot of times. So, so the church has changed there. Um, they go earlier now, right? They can. Yeah, they yeah. can go right out, of, right out of high school. It used to be when I went. Uh, you had to be 19. So typically we'd go to school for a year or, or work for a year before we would go. And now you can go when you're 18, like uh, as soon as you're done with high school. But I think um, in talking with him, he's, he's leaning towards at least maybe doing a semester or two of school before going out. And honestly, I'd recommend that. My freshman year of school was was fantastic. It was great. It was one of the best years of, of my life as far as college and making friends and things like that. And, and getting the experience to kind of live on your own before going off and, and being a missionary. Being a missionary is hard. So if you go just directly from living at home with your mom and dad to being a missionary, it's a huge jump as far as expectations and, and, and what you need to do. It's, it's a huge life change. And so being able to have a little bit of a gap to kind of um, have some experience on your own and, and know, oh, my, my laundry's piling up. I better do that. Mom's not coming in to, to clean, clean my laundry or, or clean my room and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that, that's kind of where he's leaning right now. But yeah, he's, uh, he's planning to go. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, man. I really appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I knew you'd be a inspirational message and, and, uh, you know, I think you, you've got a lot of, of great tips and ideas to give to the listeners and anybody that is out there that maybe, you know, is working for a company and thinks they can do it better. or They have an idea that they want to turn into a widget or whatever it is, you know, just to, you know, it's, it, it, I mean, you, you hit all the topics, right? It's, it's scary. You got to take some risk and it's hard work, right? It's not, you don't one in a billion land in the pile of money and own a business. Owning a business is hard. You know, it's hard to start one. It's hard to run one. It's hard to be successful at it, at any business, whether you're selling burgers or, you know, mental health services, you know, it's, it's a tough world out there and nobody owes you anything you know, so yeah. I appreciate that's, it, man. That's exactly right. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. It was, it was great. I love what you guys are doing, Brian and Ben. I love the the guests that you have. And, and like I said before, I mean, I I've learned a lot just from, from the handful of uh, podcasts that I've listened to. And so I, I appreciate what you guys are doing and, and getting the word out there and helping people want to be more motivated and hopefully giving them some tools and advice on, on how they can take that next step. And, and like you said, I mean, you just need to do it. Like, that's the first thing. It's like, you know what? Just get out there and, and start doing something. Uh, what? And you don't necessarily need to quit your job, but even start doing it on the side or or file your file your LLC or your, your corporation paperwork with the Secretary of State. I mean, just go find out how to do that and do it and, and get going. So I love it. You guys are awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, please please tell everyone where they can find you and your companies. So if they're interested in your services, you know, let, them, let them know where they can find you. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a couple websites, uh, BAINevada.com is for our uh, assisted living uh, developmental services side and then sagehealthservices.com for our, our autism supports. So 
Or, yeah. And like I said, if there's anybody that's interested uh, just in, in any information about what we do, or even is just looking for services, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to, to speak with them um, about that further. They can, they can contact you through the information on the website. They can. Yeah. Contact information okay. is all there. So yeah, you can shoot me an email or, or even uh, give me a phone call. So be happy to. That's cool. Well, Nate, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, you're doing awesome work. I mean, like Ben said, you're doing awesome work on the business side. Plus you're also running a business that's actually doing some really amazing work, helping people uh, improve their lives and, and live better lives. So thank you for that. You're, you're putting a lot of good uh, energy back out in the world. So that's, that's awesome. We can always, def we can always use more of that. So thank you. So uh, that being said, I think this is an awesome episode. Uh, I don't want to keep Nate. I want to be respectful of his time. So thanks Nate for being here and I will sign off for the night. So for, uh, Ben, this is Brian signing off for the uh, Nothing Node podcast. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.